0: This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I am delighted to welcome Victoria Medbeck to the show. Victoria, welcome. I'm so thrilled that you're with me. Thank you so much for having me
1: today, Caroline. I am thrilled to be a part of your podcast.
0: Well, good. Me too, because we are going to unlock the mysteries of negotiating, which is your area of subject matter expertise. And you're going to teach us all about how to negotiate without fear, which is so essential. So Victoria, I love this book. And one thing that you say is so crucial in negotiation is differentiating yourself. So explain to our global audience what that means and how we find our unique traits. That is such a great question, Caroline.
1: And you're correct. I am passionate about helping people to negotiate without fear whether they're negotiating at work with a customer or a supplier or a financing partner, or whether they're negotiating in their personal life, buying a house or buying a car, but also especially when they're negotiating for themselves in their own career. And across all of those different kinds of negotiations, it's really important to think about. One of my objectives is always to differentiate myself, my product, my service, my offering, but most importantly, myself. I have to ensure that I'm focused on really drawing attention to what makes me unique, what makes me different. And in specific, how do my differentiators address the other side's pressing business needs? So I want to be very clear on how what I am uniquely competent or able to do is able to address the needs of the other side, because I should always focus my negotiation on addressing the other side's needs. And I should always set myself apart so that people on the other side aren't worried about establishing precedent by doing something for me that they feel like they would then have to do for everyone else. So part of the reason why you want to differentiate yourself is to make sure that you stand out and that your unique qualities and competencies are highlighted. A second reason why you want to differentiate Is because if you're not differentiating, you're really commoditizing yourself or your product, your company. But the third reason why you want to differentiate, particularly when you're negotiating on your own behalf with an employer, is because you want it to be clear to that employer how they can do something for you and not have to do exactly the same thing for everyone else at your level or in your role. So differentiating is key because it allows you to show how you don't establish precedent when they do something for you that they would have to do then for everyone else.
0: So you clearly are an expert in negotiating. You are a faculty member at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern and the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Executive Women. And you have your own consulting firm, Medvic & Associates, and you focus on high-stake negotiations and strategic decisions. So you're, you're an expert. But you, you must have started earlier in your career learning the ropes of negotiation and Many of the women and men learning at this point are are nervous and they're fearful. And you really believe that that impedes our ability to negotiate. So what about the rookies, right, who are listening, saying, OK, I get it. I know what I need to do, but I'm paralyzed with fear.
1: I absolutely feel that fear impedes people in negotiation, Caroline. And the reality is I see it um, in my students who who are... Um, going into negotiations and trying to negotiate for themselves, my students at Kellogg, who have a lot of experience but are still younger in their careers. But I also see it, Caroline, in the CEOs that I advise on high-stakes deals when they're doing mergers and acquisitions and partnership agreements. I see fear that is pervasive across the spectrum of experience in negotiating. And so I want to take the fear out of negotiating And really help people too, as my book is called, negotiate without fear by using the right strategies and the right skills. And a part of those strategies are to focus on the other side. A part of the strategies are to focus on how your differentiators can address their needs. A part of the strategies is to actually make sure that you put all the right issues on the table when you negotiate and that you're not just having a single issue conversation. And another key and critical strategy is to ensure that as you go into that negotiation, you go in with a clear offer that highlights how your differentiators address their needs and that that offer gives you enough room to concede and maneuver and modify and change um, before you end with a resolution. Those strategies will help you to take the fear out of negotiation and to negotiate well for yourself, or for your company.
0: You know, I'm so grateful that you said, okay, look, it's not just the rookies, right? Some very seasoned leaders also uh, have that that fear factor when they're negotiating. So thank you for being so authentic. I'm sure a lot of our listeners just exhaled a big sigh of relief. I'm grateful for that. I really am. My observation as an executive coach is that Women uh, tend to negotiate less than our male counterparts, and I know that you are particularly passionate in empowering women. So why is it that women struggle more with this, and any particular tips that are relevant to our women listeners?
1: That is a great question, and you are correct. There is research. It was first identified by a labor economist at Carnegie Mellon, Linda Babcock, who first identified that women are less likely to negotiate for themselves than their male colleagues are. And she looked at that because she's a labor economist in terms of women negotiating their salary and found that women were less likely to ask for salary than men were at comparable levels. But the reality is that that tendency not to ask extends far beyond simply asking for pay. It also involves women asking for promotions, women asking for visible assignments, women asking for development opportunities, women asking for the resources and staffing they need to be successful in their positions. And so this tendency not to ask for themselves is quite pervasive. But I do want to be very clear on a distinction here. It is not that women cannot negotiate. It's that women are less likely to negotiate for themselves than their male colleagues are. Women are fierce negotiators on behalf of their companies or their organizations. I think all of us would say women are often fierce negotiators on behalf of their families. I always say you don't want to be the teacher um, who is facing the mom who's upset about something at school, right? Women are fierce negotiators on behalf of their families. We are fierce negotiators for others but we often don't ask for ourselves. And the reason that we often don't ask for ourselves really comes down to a few key areas. One is that we often don't see the situation as being negotiable. So women tend not to see as many negotiation opportunities as men do. If you simply ask men and women to read a paragraph about a situation and ask, what is negotiable in the situation? Even when they're reading it, They will find, women will find fewer negotiation opportunities than men do. Um, Women see things as more fixed, more set, and men see things as more flexible. I often say, this is a key reason why women don't negotiate, because women tell me all the time, Caroline, I tried, I asked, and they said no. And I always say, no is not a wall you run into at the end of a negotiation, No is the window you climb through. Negotiation starts with no. It's like game on. Let's go. You don't really know if you've tested the boundaries until you've heard no. So you can never be intimidated by no. You have to see the situation as being flexible, negotiable, something I can modify and change. And I think, Caroline, this actually leads to something that I know you are so passionate about around the quality of people's lives and their working lives. And one of the things I would say is that because women see things as more fixed, they are less likely to negotiate when they are unhappy in a role. Um, They're more likely to quit without negotiating. And I always say, you know, leaving has no expiration date. I can try to adjust things before I leave. And I encourage both men and women to always negotiate before you depart. If you're unhappy, if you're discontent, try to change the situation. Don't just immediately depart from the situation. Because in fact, when you leave without asking, i believe you actually are more likely to damage the relationship with that employer and to burn a bridge because that employer would like to keep you they would like to know what's not working they would like to try to change it and if they can't perhaps you will leave but i think that women often get frustrated they get irritated and they exit and remember this leaving has no expiration date you can always ask before you depart And Caroline, that reminds me of a story um, from a woman who was in my women's senior leadership program at the Kellogg School once. Um, This was a long time ago. And this woman was a very high potential young woman who was one level below the CEO. And I am passionate about keeping women in, moving them up, getting them into the CEO ranks. And this woman was in my program and she was going to quit her job. And she had a very candid conversation on the first day of class she said she was quitting because she was traveling so often that her children refused to call her mom they would only call her by her first name and she thought this was intolerable and she was going to leave and i said to her you know quitting doesn't have an expiration date you can go in and try to change that situation and if you can't change it then you can quit but why don't you first try to negotiate to change the situation at work. And so she reported directly to the CEO. And so she was going to go talk to the CEO. But this is where it's really critical to go back to those two points I made earlier about differentiating yourself and thinking about how your differentiators address the other side's pressing business needs. Because I think in that situation, it would be really tempting for someone to go meet with the CEO and say, I can't travel any longer. I need to be at home more often. I need to travel less. My kids need me around more. But if you look at it, all of those statements would be about me, myself, and I. And you always want to remember in a negotiation to make it about them. It's always about their needs, their challenges, their problem. And in fact, I say when you're negotiating, you should be a pronoun checker. If I'm talking about I, me, we, us too often, I'm talking about the wrong side. I want to make it about them. So I said to her, you know, why would your company be well served if you were traveling less often? And she told me that the company was a small uh, pharmaceutical company and they had just had two products rapidly approved by the FDA. And she had had a a lot of experience in big pharma. Where they commercialized drugs at multiple times often but no one else in this small biotech pharma company had ever commercialized two drugs at the same time so rather than going in to talk to the ceo and saying i can't travel anymore or my kids need me at home she went in and talked about how the company had made a huge commitment to the street to get these two drugs to market by this particular date And she was confident that she was uniquely positioned to help the company to achieve that goal. But in order to do that, she needed to be in the office every single day working with that team, driving that result. There were lots of people who could call on customers as well as she could, but she felt she had the unique skill set to be able to deliver those two drugs to market by the date the analysts expected and ensure that the company was successful. And Caroline, I can tell you in that she ended up getting a promotion, a pay raise and almost no travel. And I think that story highlights the importance of differentiating yourself and focusing on how your differentiators address the other side's pressing business needs, but also being willing to ask and not just depart when you're dissatisfied.
0: Victoria, that is a phenomenal story. I thank you for that. I'm just smiling ear to ear. And we'll be right back after a quick break to continue this fantastic conversation. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at CarolineDoubtHiggins.com. So Victoria, l- let's dive in because that story that you shared before the break really inspired me. And, and so many women that I work with say, should I always ask Oh, pardon me, should I always negotiate salary? What if I'm extremely enthusiastic about the salary? Uh, You know, should I ask? And uh, I have a particular theory, but I'd love to hear you as the expert negotiator. And also just reinforce to everybody listening, it's not just about salary. And you write so beautifully about that in the book. So tell us more.
1: Thank you, Caroline. And thanks for leading with the fact that there is no such thing as a salary negotiation. I say that to people all the time, that you have to put the right issues on the table and make this about your employment engagement, not just your salary discussion. In fact, in the book, I have a section in each one of the content chapters that has a special block on how to negotiate for yourself. And in the section on putting the right issues on the table, we really dig into the importance of ensuring that I'm talking about all of the correct issues, not just my salary. I often suggest to people that when they're going into this kind of negotiation, Caroline, that they think about it like a train going down the train tracks. And I always say the engine is never your salary. The engine is always the company's most pressing business needs and the most pressing business needs of your future boss or your current boss. That's what the engine is. And then the next car back are your differentiators and how your differentiators can address those needs. And the next car back is some kind of bet on how your differentiators will address the needs that the company or your boss has. And the next car back are your other differentiators. And the caboose at the end of the train includes your salary and your annual bonus and any kind of moving expenses, those are all in the caboose. They're there. They're attached. But the story is never about the caboose. The story is about the engine. And I often will say, you have to keep that train moving forward. you got to lead with the engine. Don't drive with the caboose or you're going to end up off the tracks. And I really believe that that is so essential when we go in to negotiate for ourselves. We have to ensure that we're focusing on the right issues We have to make sure that we have a good story. We have to make sure that we're delivering offers. And in fact, in that situation, Caroline, I would recommend that people go in with a few options rather than a single offer. One of the things the book talks about is a strategy called multiple equivalent simultaneous offers. The essence of it is to go to the table with three options rather than one offer, And in employment situations, I always encourage people to use multiple options. And one of the options should always include a bet on some performance metric you can achieve because of your differentiators. And that bet is always in the third option. And let me be clear, Caroline. Most people are never going to have their employer select that third option. They're not going to end up with a unique performance bonus that's different than everyone else in the company. But the reason you put it on the table is not so they select it. The reason you put it on the table is to demonstrate your confidence in what you can achieve, how you will perform, what you will do for that company. You want to send a clear, strong message about your confidence The other big advantage of that third offer, though, is that the total between the base and this contingent bonus that is performance-based would equal more than the base would be in the first or second options. And what that does is provides a beautiful contrast effect that allows what you're asking for in the first two options to seem more reasonable relative to that third complete compensation that is higher because of what you will achieve for the company. So it sends a clear message about what you will achieve. And you know, Caroline, a lot of times when I tell people that, they will say to me, but Vicki, I'm not some senior executive. I'm just starting out. I'm junior in my career. I'm midway through my career. How does this apply to me? And in the book, you will see that I use examples like this for mid-level executives who are negotiating to move from a marketing role to a sales leadership role. But I also use an example very similar for a high school student who's going to work in an ice cream shop. And I can help that high school student differentiate herself from other high school students working in the ice cream shop. And even in that example, I include a performance-based bonus based on her ability to keep the shop open 100% of the time when it's supposed to be open and staffed clearly through the entire summer. And I think that The reason I raise that is these examples apply to everyone, regardless of where you are in your job, regardless of where you are in your career. You can use the strategies presented in the book to more effectively negotiate for yourself.
0: Victoria, that's why I love this. You're teaching us techniques and strategies that are applicable at any phase in life. So love, love, love that. So let me ask though, there's got to be a time when we walk away or, or, or when we don't, right? How do we nuance that? How do we understand when it's time to say, okay, this just isn't gonna work or do you stick in there and, and keep going?
1: No, I think it's a, it's absolutely true. there is a time when you walk away and you walk away, when you're not achieving what is referred to and the book discusses it as your reservation point and your bottom line your reservation point is truly the point at which you would walk away it is largely determined by your best outside option what we refer to as your BATNA your best alternative to negotiated agreement really shapes your reservation point what is my best outside option and that drives the point at which i would walk away but i think the key in negotiation is two things Number one, I don't ever like to be negotiating around my reservation point. I like to negotiate above my goal. So my goal for the negotiation, what I'm shooting for, what I'm trying to get, what I'm hoping to get, is actually based on my assessment of the weaknesses of the other side's alternative. So the weaknesses of the other side's BATNA. And in the book, we talk a lot about this idea of setting ambitious goals and negotiating around your goal rather than your reservation point. And one thing I will tell you is I think a lot of people, when they have to negotiate for themselves, make a mistake that they they negotiate against themselves and work their way down toward their reservation point. I'll just give you an example. Imagine that you are working in an office and you need some more administrative assistance. You are losing your mind in your job and you decide you absolutely need some more assistance. So you're going to ask your boss for a person, an administrative assistant who works just for you five days a week. And then you think, well, you know, that seems a little selfish. I mean, maybe I shouldn't ask for them to work for me only five days a week. Maybe I could split it. And they could work for me and my one colleague five days a week. And then you think, you know, really, there are two of us that are kind of also colleagues. So maybe it should be for all three of us. So maybe I'll ask for the administrative assistant who works for three of us five days a week. I mean, I at least need them to work four days a week. I have to have them at least four days a week. I'm going to ask for an administrative assistant who works for me and two other people four days a week. I mean, it can't be less than three. It has to, I have to have at least that level of support or I'm going to quit. Like I am done. I cannot make it anymore. So you go to your boss and you ask for this administrative assistant who's going to work for you and two other colleagues three days a week. And your boss says, you know, there's a hiring freeze. And you say, I have to have it. I absolutely have to have it. And you start to look like a crazy person. I think you would have been far better off. If you had thought about the fact that your boss needed to have certain things accomplished by the end of the quarter and they needed you and your team to be more externally focused, and you went in and you talked about your need for two sources of support to support you and the team so that they could be out in the market generating revenue with all of the customers. And when your boss comes back and says they can't give you two people because you know there's a hiring freeze, rather than looking like a crazy person because you're at your reservation point you could instead concede down to just an administrative assistant who would work for you five days a week and you could look reasonable and cooperative i think that that message is very key we too often go into negotiations we negotiate against ourselves before we make our opening offer and we've come down to our reservation point and so we have very little room to maneuver Whereas we would be far better off if we set more ambitious goals based on the weakness of the other side's options, went into the negotiation at those starting points, left ourselves room to concede with rationale on why we would make those concessions. We end up both getting more and building the relationship with that approach. So that's something I would say about reservation point. I would try to stay away from it in the negotiation.
0: Victoria, I have learned so much from you today. I am taking copious notes. I am going to be gifting your book to all of my friends and colleagues. This is an absolute must read. And I'm grateful for your expertise on the show. But let's tell our global audience exactly how they can buy the book. It's called Negotiate Without Fear strategies and tools to maximize your outcomes. And of course, it is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and at all major book retailers. But I want to mention your amazing website, which is medvecandassociates.com. And you have been very gracious to invite our listeners to connect with you on LinkedIn as well. Victoria, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time today.
1: Caroline, thank you for all that you're doing to help people have their best working life. I really appreciate the messages you send out through your podcast, and it was my privilege to be your guest.
0: Thank Thank you. You are so welcome, and I wish you continued success. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new listeners find us online let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at cdowdhiggins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.